This episode contains descriptions of body horror. Listener discretion is advised, especially for children under 13. Mountains overawe and oceans terrify, while the mystery of great forests exercises a spell peculiarly its own. But all these, at one point or another, somewhere link on intimately with human life and human experience. They stir comprehensible, even if alarming, emotions. They tend, on the whole, to exalt. With this multitude of willows, however, it was something far different, I felt. Some essence emanated from them that besieged the heart. A sense of awe awakened, true, but of awe touched somewhere by a vague terror. Their serried ranks, growing everywhere darker about me as the shadows deepened, moving furiously yet softly in the wind, woke in me the curious and unwelcome suggestion that we had trespassed here upon a world where we were intruders, a world where we were not wanted or invited to remain. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's story, The Willows, comes from British writer Algernon Blackwood. This novella was a favorite of H.P. Lovecraft, who described it as the greatest work of supernatural horror ever written. Like much of Blackwood's work, the tale is inspired by personal experience. The author took several canoeing trips down the Danube River in 1900 and 1901. I will tell this story as Seamus, an adventurer who enlists the help of a Swedish friend to guide him through the remote Danube Delta between Vienna and Budapest. As the rapids drive them further from civilization, the men are alarmed to discover that something is waiting for them on a strange island. Something far beyond what any mortal man can explain. Coming up, we'll discover the dark secrets of the Danube River. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Of all the places to die, this part of the river seemed the prettiest one. I repeated this thought to my Swedish friend, but Ulf just smiled the way he always did when I said something peculiar. I wondered if it was just all too familiar to him. He charted these remote sections of the Danube for years, yet every time I saw him glance at the shore, I saw a kind of wonder and fear in his expression that I wanted to understand. Now I had my chance. We'd left the small river villages of Austria-Hungary in our canoe and headed toward the faded area of his map marked Zumpfa, or Marshes. Both Ulf and the shopkeeper we'd purchased provisions from had warned me that the waters there were choppy and unpredictable. But that warning now felt like a vast understatement. A giant whirlpool was just up ahead. It looked like a beast that wanted to swallow our canoe. Its churning mouth opened wide to devour us, revealing jagged river rocks beneath the current like teeth. And I had nothing to ward them off but my paddle. Ulf had once described the oar as a knife of sorts. Its job was to cut through the water so that our canoe could pass. If my oar was a knife, it was a blunt one. The current pushed us closer to the whirlpool's gaping moor, and I felt the canoe's hull wobble beneath us. I cursed my insatiable curiosity. I could have gone anywhere for an adventure. There were plenty to be had at home in London, and though it rained a lot, at least I wouldn't drown. The canoe tipped to the left, and I saw my future. I would be pushed out of this boat and swept off into the current. I prepared to meet my maker, when I felt a strong hand on my shoulder hold me in place. Ulf held me with his right hand and carved through the water with his left as though his paddle was an extension of his arm. I could barely hear him over the roar of the water as he reminded me, Just keep pushing, Seamus. We'll clear it in no time. Ulf had a way of convincing you that you were stronger than you were, and I would have been completely lost without him. To the untrained traveler, the marshes were a collection of small islands that seemed to change shape at will. Ulf had warned me of this, but he'd also assured me that the patches of land we found would be beautiful, more stunning and strange than anything I'd ever seen. I'd agreed to enter this churning maelstrom on that promise, but I saw no land, only rushing, white-capped water. Still, I pushed with every ounce of strength I had, buoyed by Ulf's encouragement. The water's grip was strong, but I did my best to be stronger. In the distance, I saw the faintest outline of a shoreline, a small island set in the middle of the delta. Ulf must have seen it too, because he let go of my shoulder to paddle with both hands. I followed his lead, though my arms burned as I fought against the current. The shore came up frighteningly fast. It was covered in willows. 
If we could grab a hold of their reeds as we passed, they would be our salvation from the rapids. But no matter how vigorously we paddled, we couldn't reach them. It was as if they were pushing us away. I heard a strange sound, unlike anything I had ever heard in all my travels. It was like a drum and a reed instrument at once, resonating through my body and shaking me to my core. I looked back at Ulf to ask if he'd heard it, but I could hardly hear my own voice over the wind. I doubted he could hear me either. The current swept us back near the shore, and I lunged to grab a fistful of willows. As my fingers seized the leaves, I heard the strange sound again. Yet now, it seemed to be coming from inside me. I tried to tell myself this was some trick of the wind and the roaring water, but I could feel the vibration, as if my spinal cord had been plucked like a violin string. I felt the leaves in my grip cut into my cracked hands, drawing blood, but I kept pulling, desperate to escape the river's current. We needed to seize our chance now, or it could be hours before we came across another island. We dragged our canoe onto land, pulling on clumps of willows as though they were rope. When I could feel the sand under my end of the canoe, I hopped out and helped Ulf pull it to shore. We stood on the bank and studied our surroundings. All around us, the marsh seemed to stretch on as far as we could see. The small island we stood on appeared to be the only solid land for miles. I presumed at first that the willows must have been growing in shallow silt, but they seemed so large that I couldn't help but think that their roots went far deeper than I knew. Ulf spoke first. Land at last. Come on, up there looks good for the tent. He pointed in the distance and I began to trek after him, but something made me pause. The blood from my hands still clung to the reeds. It looked, somehow, like it was being absorbed, like how a plant might drink water. I didn't like the way the willows moved. They didn't arch or snap in the wind. They undulated, as if someone I couldn't see was rustling them. It was entirely unnatural, and yet here there was nothing but nature. I thought of sharing my observation with Ulf, but I could see the relief on his face that we'd made it to land. He hadn't seen the willows breathe like I had. I envied him. When I'd planned this trip, I fancied myself an adventurer. I wanted to explore real forgotten territory, a place on earth that had not been touched by humans for millennia. The marshes of the Danube fit the bill perfectly. There were no people here. It was empty. But that emptiness crept into me, along with that horrible sound. I was unnerved by the hostile beauty of this wilderness. I thought of how, when we were in the canoe, the land pushed us back like it didn't want us here. I wasn't sure I wanted to be here either. Suddenly, Ulf pointed into the distance. Something just offshore was bobbing up and down in the water. From where we stood, it appeared to be a canoe. I raced toward it and Ulf followed, jogging slowly behind me. He seemed almost apprehensive, which was rather strange for a great outdoorsman like himself. I'd never seen him show trepidation, but perhaps he'd found his own sense of disquiet in the willows. 
He cried for me to slow down, but I only ran faster. I couldn't help but feel drawn to the water. I saw the nose first, jutting out from between the willows. A horrid sound of alarm left my throat. I told Ulf to hurry as I tore through the reeds. It wasn't a boat that had been bobbing in the water. It was a man. Beneath his torn clothing, his skin was covered in scratches. His eyes were open wide and his mouth was caught in a silent scream. Bloat and decay had pulled patches of flesh from his face, mottling his body a grayish green. There was one thing, however, that could not be explained by simple decomposition. In the middle of his chest was an indent the size of a shilling. It was a perfect beveled circle. Whatever had struck him there appeared to have cracked open his ribcage to pierce his heart. That strange gong vibrated through me again. It rattled up a terrible memory. The only time I had seen the dead before this were frozen corpses on the trails of the Himalayas. My guide had told me this was the risk of standing still in the wilderness. Panic overtakes you, you long to sleep, and then you never wake again. I felt Ulf come up beside me, worry on his face. I leaned down to touch the corpse to prove I wasn't afraid. That horrible noise shook my mind again. The water churned and the silt slid beneath my feet. I reached desperately for Ulf's arm, but I fell into the water, crashing into the man's slimy form. I cried out in disgust and scrambled to my feet. Just as I pulled away from the corpse, the tide tugged it from the shore and back into the current. It floated out of sight with an almost supernatural swiftness, bobbing in the water until it suddenly rolled and disappeared beneath the surface. I told myself it was only nature taking its course, but I could not fight the pit in my stomach, the certainty that this was a message. Someone or something on this island wanted us gone, and if it liked, it could make us disappear. Coming up, Seamus discovers a different kind of death waiting in the willows. The CIA, they're the first line of defense for the United States, analyzing intelligence to thwart any possible threats and keep us safe. Some of their involvements are made public, and others aren't. Hi, it's Carter from Parcast, and in honor of America's birthday, we're uncovering the cases you were never supposed to know about in the new series, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. From international assassination plots and mind control experiments to catastrophic cover-ups and secret societies fit for film, sift through the agency's most questioned and controversial affairs. Each week, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition exposes the covert operations intended to protect us from conflicts, but end up creating conspiracies. Where does the truth lie? Where do the lies end? And how much do we really want to know? Follow the new Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. 
This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. A sense of dread hung over Ulf and I as we walked the short length back to our intended campsite. Though the corpse we'd found among the willows was long gone, swept away by the current, I could still see its vacant, yellow eyes boring into mine. Ulf tried his best to bridge the silence. That was strange. I've never seen an otter out here before. I turned to stare at him, bewildered. Though the dead man's dark clothes had grown slick like an otter skin, and he'd rolled in the currents like some water creature. He was a man, and he was dead. As though he could hear me, Ulf slapped me hard on the back. Sad to think the otter was alone. They usually swim in pairs. They hold on to each other to keep from drifting apart. I stared at him. You can't think that was an otter, can you? Ulf stared right back. You don't know that it wasn't. Don't let your mind run away with you. It was gone so quickly. I eyed the river. Yes, and he went quickly because the current stole him away. Ulf sighed and washed his hands in the softly lapping water. Nature does not care, intend, or act, Seamus. It only is... There is no persecution, only indifference. It's comforting, if you ask me. I knew what I'd seen, but Ulf steered the conversation toward the eroding shoreline. The island was almost completely washed out, and though we planned to make our camp at its highest point, we could be flooded within a matter of hours if we weren't watchful. Ulf suggested we sleep in shifts to keep our eye on the rising water, and as loath as I was to be alone with my thoughts, I agreed. As the sky grew dark, we made camp and quietly ate our provisions. Neither Ulf nor I mentioned the corpse again, and after supper, he disappeared into our small tent. I would take the first shift. I sat near the willows and tried to think of anything but them. Within ten minutes, however, I'd all but given up. The wind had all but died, but still... The willows rustled. I knew in my soul that these willows weren't like ones I'd seen on other shores. They consumed my thoughts in a way that nature never had. Those thin slivers seemed to be aimed directly at my body, like spears held by invisible spirits. I sat, tense, waiting for them to fly at me, waiting for them to hunt me down. I told myself a walk would clear the panic from my mind. Though the light was dim, I would still be able to spot any encroaching water in time to warn Ulf. But as I glanced at the shoreline, I was pleased to see that the water seemed to have receded. Our risk of drowning had diminished. But when I turned my gaze away from the water, what I saw defied reason. 
the willows were growing together. I swear I could see it. They grew far taller and far faster than normal plants did. And what happened next was even more improbable. They were bending together now, their fronds knitting into massive, horrible shapes. I realized that I was crouched low to the ground, hiding behind a ridge in the sand. It was as if some deep, primal part of my body had recognized this horror before my brain had the chance to catch up. I watched in terror as the willows undulated and changed, as if a giant, unseen hand was molding them into men with deadly intent. They looked not unlike Ulf. They stood tall, with broad shoulders and a clear torso, but the rest was muddled. Their face was hidden, formed into their trunks by a series of intricate nodes that looked nothing like human features. Their arms, shaped by foliage, extended all the way to the ground. Despite the fact that they had no faces, the way they shifted in place gave the impression that they were searching for something. They were frantic at first, then slow, probing. The wind swirled around them, rustling their fronds, and I wondered if they had some language that I couldn't understand. Then, they started to walk. They were fast, crossing several feet in half a second. Within moments, they were in the distance. I knew I had to get off this island, but first, I needed Ulf to see what I was seeing. That body had been no otter, and these were no willows. He needed to understand. I heaved myself up from the sand and sprinted to the tent. The wind was whipping around it, pressing down on the canvas with an unnatural weight. My legs started to shake and I stumbled to the ground. Rather than fight against the force of the wind, I scrambled on hands and knees toward the tent. As my fingers clutched its front flap, I felt the prick of the willows against my back. Still, I rushed forward, bursting into the tent and screamed for Ulf to wake up. Then, the wind around me stopped. The willows' deadly kiss retreated. I expected to see some look of shock on Ulf's face, but what I saw instead was grim resignation. I tried to utter out some convincing argument, but all thoughts left my head as I stared at the disheveled man before me. Ulf looked nothing like the calm, pleasant friend I'd come here with. I needed to fill the silence, so I did my best to explain. We're not alone here. The willows aren't willows. They're... My voice trailed off as I struggled to think of what they were. Already the image of them was fading from my memory, like the delta's silt through a closed fist. I tried to hold on, but my mind would not obey me. I gestured wildly, sputtering for an explanation, but no words came. Ulf cleared his throat and took over for me. <clears throat> Shameless. Stop thinking about it. It bothered me that he could read my thoughts so plainly, yet he refused to understand. I tried again. That corpse in the water, I... I don't think it's the first person to die here. I think something's out there in the willows. Several somethings. Perhaps they want to make more of them. Ulf laughed. 
There's no need to worry about numbers at a time like this. I stammered in my confusion. Ulf, are you mad? That strange affability that I had once found comforting had returned. Certainly not. I'm simply prioritizing. We must focus on getting rest and leaving this place. I wanted to scream at him, but Ulf's serenity was unshakable. He lowered his voice, eerily calm. Don't you see? We came here, and now we can't leave. We have no choice. We must wait for them to find another sacrifice. I will say this once, and then not speak of it again. Wipe them from your mind, Seamus. If we don't think of them, they can't find us. I hissed back. Sacrifice? How do you know that? What aren't you telling me? But Ulf only shook his head, laid back down, and told me to rest. I didn't understand the change in my friend. He'd always been forthcoming and kind. He certainly hadn't brought me here on purpose, had he? He did say we would wait it out. But it was little consolation when he seemed to have moved far past denial and into delusion. I turned to him. Ulf, please, tell me something. You've seen them too, haven't you? The spirits in the willows. He leaned in close. In all the time you've known me, have I ever lied to you? I shook my head. He continued. Then you must trust me now. I can elaborate when they are not so close. But the only way we will elude them is if we drive them from our mind. You must do that, Seamus. You must. I told him we might be able to make a run for the boat, but Ulf shook his head. The canoe is broken. There is a hole in it as large as my fist, and our provisions are gone. We are stuck here until we can wade our way out. So you must think of something else. I narrowed my eyes. You're lying. Ulf shook his head. I wish I was. You'll see soon enough, if we survive the night. I did not want to believe him. A broken canoe meant we were at the mercy of the elements, and the willows were the elements. I was certain something was directly behind me. I could feel long, thin fingers pressing through the tense canvas against my skin. And then I heard that horrible sound. It rattled my whole body and squeezed my chest as if it had a grip on my heart. I told myself to imagine the stillness of a mountain peak, the emptiness that left only rock, snow, and sky. The ascent to such heights had always seemed like the most difficult thing I could do, but now I'd found a far worse challenge. How do you think about not thinking? How do you think of something else when a monster is bearing down on you, rattling your chest with its horrible music? Next. I did something so strange, so silly, that perhaps I hoped Ulf would either comment on it or join in. 
I had done it in my head before to suppress my fears on my travels, but never allowed. I started to sing, God Save the Queen, as it was the only thing I could think of that could drown out the noise. God save our gracious queen, God save our queen, God save the queen. The fingers started to move away. My chest felt lighter. Whether Ulf was correct or not, I saw a benefit to pushing the threat from my mind, so I stayed the course. I lay in the darkness, humming quietly, and tried not to think, but I could still feel the willows lurking on the edges of my consciousness. Either something inhuman was planning to keep us here, or both Ulf and I had lost our minds. As the water rose in the encroaching darkness, I wasn't sure which was worse. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with the conclusion to our adaptation of Algernon Blackwood's The Willows. In the meantime, try not to think about it. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil Deritta and Jennifer Rache, with writing assistance by Amin Osman and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Audriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. Hi, it's Carter from ParCast. Every Thursday on Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition, we're uncovering secrets hidden deep within the archives of the Central Intelligence Agency to bring you a special collection of episodes from shows across our network. Follow the new Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.